This episode is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, experienced wealth planners and investment managers who offer unwavering support in challenging times. Visit CanDoWealth.com for more information. Hello and welcome to Coffeehouse Shots and Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Katie Balls and I'm joined by Kate Andrews and Isabel Hardman. So it's a busy week in Westminster coming up when it comes to minimum service, bill on strikes, potentially some excited talk about Northern Ireland protocol and a looming decision on the gender reform bill. But Kate, some politicians are actually heading a bit further away to Davos. Can you fill us in? Some, certainly not all. So it's... The Davos Conference 2023, hosted by the World Economic Forum, Rishi Sunak and his Chancellor Jeremy Hunt are not going to be there, but the wannabe leaders, let's call them, Kiyostama and Rachel Reeves, will be there. The government is sending some representatives. The Trade Secretary, Kemi Badnock, and the Business Secretary, Grant Shapps, will be there for part of the week. Of course, Davos is the yearly meeting of the world's elite when it comes to politics and finance. You have leaders in business and politics from around the world coming together to talk about the issues of the day. And people are noting this year the narratives being crafted quite quickly, even before the conference really kicks off, that they need to refocus their efforts from free markets and globalization to issues of inequality, especially with the cost of living crunch. And already there are reports that a lot of the lavish parties and the champagne receptions are being scaled back to try to seem more thoughtful about what perhaps your average looker-on is going through. But as I note on Coffee House this morning, These criticisms of Davos aren't new, and I think they're also very misplaced. I mean, bringing together politicians and the mega business leaders and putting them in a small resort town is nothing like free market capitalism or really even globalization. It's the definition of crony capitalism. The idea that they haven't been trying to virtue signal for many years now is is also misplaced. I mean, this is the conference that is going to have about a third of its panels focus on climate change. There was a report out just a few days ago that last year, uh, the number of carbon emissions from private jets to Davos actually quadrupled. So, you know, accusations of hypocrisy are already there. The public can often see through what goes on at Davos. And it's very notable, right, that the prime minister isn't going. In fact, only one of the G7 leaders is going. And I think there's a increasing sense that showing up there doesn't do much for your reputation. It only solidifies that there is this very elite group of people that um, isn't always thinking about the broader public interest. Now, Isabel, as Kate touches on, Downing Street have made a decision that Rishi Sunak should not go and neither should his chancellor. You have Kemi Badenoch and, and Grant Shapps attending instead. And I think that they want to say Rishi Sunak is focusing on domestic priorities. It's one of the reasons that you initially had Rishi Sunak not going to COP, but then they had cold feet. was this idea they want him to look as though he cares more about, I think, domestic issues or at least understands the urgency. So then why do you think Keir Starmer wants to go? Do they not see any issues of perhaps him being associated with the global elite or do they think there's actually quite beneficial to Keir Starmer's image? Well, I think this is part of Keir Starmer's prawn cocktail offensive or, or whatever the uh, whatever the contemporary version of that is, is, in that he wants to be seen as a very business-friendly Labour leader and indeed has set much store by the, the number of businesses at the Labour conference in the autumn being at a, at, at a high for, for, for a number of years and having a big business reception and so on. So for him, pressing the flesh at Davos is, it confounds people's expectations about Labour. But, you know, that there is a risk because I think there is something slightly 
faintly ridiculous about Davos. I mean, I remember a few years ago, they had, I think, the focus of the summit or certainly a lot of their sessions were all about mindfulness, which is, you know, just what the world needs is all these rich leaders meditating rather than, you know, potentially <laughs> talking about some of the, the, the greater issues within mental health and so on. So as Kate says, that sort of association with Davos is is still risky. But for Keir Starmer, the, the, the bigger risk is that people see Labour still as a party that is unfriendly to business and that wants to curtail aspiration and entrepreneurship. So I don't know, maybe maybe Keir's going to go and have a nice meditation session and, you know, check in with how he's feeling in the snow-covered slopes. Yeah, because on that, Kate, I suppose, as I suppose, Keir Starman wants to look pro-business. Rachel Reeves is also going to Davos as Shadow Chancellor. She's been doing lots of work behind the scenes trying to woo business, get those business endorsements. But there was also the perception, I think, that Labour suffered a lot from in the past, which is that they were out of touch with working people. Brexit was one manifestation of that. So do you think this is a good decision by Keir Starmer, all, all things considered? I think all things considered, everyone's making the right decision for them. Rishi Sunak does not want to be... <laughs> Every, everyone's doing well. Everyone's doing them, true you know. Uh, it's very 2023 vibes. But, you know, Rishi Sunak does not want to be photographed with the global wealthy, given the fact that... Labour's main attack on him at the moment is his personal wealth. That he is a member of the global wealth. That he is yeah. a member, that they, they claim he is a member of that group, a comfortable one at that. But Kiyostama wants to be photographed with world leaders. He wants to be photographed with some of the rich and famous because, as Isabel says, that gives the Labour Party a bit more clout. Now, in an ideal circumstance, would these be the people that he gets his clout from? Probably not. But, you know, he wants to be able to say, look, it could be me going to these conferences. It could be me speaking to Olaf Scholz, Germany's chancellor and, and the one leader of the G7 who's going to be there. He's going to be desperate for those photo ops. So, you know, it makes sense in a very strange world that we live in these days that Labour is there. And it makes sense that the Conservatives are, are downplaying their presence. Now, it's about, I mentioned some of the things coming up or potentially coming up in terms of the week in Westminster. Now, one thing that we hadn't got to yet is actually new plans from Downing Street to widen police powers for disruptive protests. Can you talk us through what we're expecting here um, when it comes to the public order bill? Yeah, so this is a change to the public order bill, which has largely been, the, the legislation itself has largely been framed as a sort of um, quite a kind of politicised piece of legislation that is designed to unite the Tories and make them seem on, you know, the side of hardworking motorists who are stuck on the M25 behind a just stop oil protest and, and so on. But this particular change has been requested, uh, particularly by the Metropolitan Police and the new commissioner, Sir Mark Rowley, who he and other senior police officers have been complaining that legislation at the moment doesn't have a clear enough definition of serious disruption, which makes it very hard for them to police protests, and that at the moment they can't step in before a protest becomes seriously disruptive. So this change will allow them to to shut down those protests before they block the M25 or cause other serious disruptions such as uh, slow marching and so on. This is obviously quite tricky in terms of civil liberties because you are giving the police, who have felt quite powerless at these protests up to this point, you're giving them powers that you may regret giving them because to a certain extent, how do you define a protest that is going to become a disruptive protest when it's not currently a protest? You know, you can just see how 
lockdown powers, which were you know extremely badly drafted, very poorly scrutinised and then very badly explained. I don't think the public order bill is quite of the same level, but uh, how lockdown powers were misinterpreted by the police who would, you know, were then sort of swooping on people who were going for a walk in the remote parts of the Peak District and so on. And so you can see a scenario where you might have police being a little bit too um, reactive to people who are sort of looking a bit strange or walking a bit slowly. I mean, you know, if I had my way, I, there would be a law against people walking slowly down busy shopping streets. But fortunately, I'm not in the police or indeed a legislator. So I think there are there are some legitimate concerns about this protest bill that go beyond the sort of are you in favour of just stop all or are you not? Kate, one of the things I put in the politics column for the issue, for the current issue, was uh, you know the ways that senior figures in government hope to unite the Tory party. Given there's lots of reasons they are disunited these days, one issue is small boats that could unite the party, divide Labour, though it has its own problems, and um, the gender reform bill, which we're going to get announced later this week. But the other thing that kept coming up was the idea that cracking down on some of these things, particularly when it comes to some of the tattoos and the eco protests, is something which does unite the Tory party. Uh, do you think it's a good move? Well, it may be a good political move for Rishi Sunak in the short term. There has been deep frustration with the way that the eco-protests have gone, creating dangerous circumstances, not letting ambulances through um, with some of these Just Stop Oil protests, despite the fact that the group says that they are willing to do so. And that could get a lot of public support, especially in areas like London or around London, where you have near record high knife crime and the rest of it. Things to do with public order and safety may sound good to the public. The difficulty, of course, is that, you know, in a free society, the right to protest is vital. And if you are going to legislate around the right to protest, you must do so with the assumption that we really are talking about the basics of public safety when these protests occur. The problem is that as this bill develops, it seems like a lot of this is about what's convenient for the police rather than what's actually truly about safety for the public. And I'm not sure that's going to sit as well. And I think, again, you know, who's going to be in charge of the police in the future? Who's going to be in government in the future? Who's going to be legislating? When you bring in really serious legislation like this, you have to assume that it could be applied in all circumstances. And it does seem like some of these clauses are are really going to be unfair or too easily manipulated by police in certain circumstances. And the Met Police don't have the best track record at the moment. They're not, you know, it's been a really difficult couple of years where it does feel like, as Isabel said, COVID laws were taken to the extreme, maybe intentionally misinterpreted on the part of individuals. Of course, you had the Sarah Everard vigil, which got completely out of hand on the police's side, pinning down nonviolent women for showing up to this vigil. The idea of giving them more power right now is perhaps a bit of an uncomfortable area. Thank you, Kate. Thank you, Isabel. And thank you for listening. Now, while we have you here, we have an event coming up. Can Britain's asylum system be fixed? This is on the 1st of February at One Great George Street. And I believe you can find details of this on the Spectator Events website. (laughs) 